Now you know what we're going to speak about this evening and let us just return to Isaiah chapter 9 and we're going to read again uh, verse 6 and verse 7. Isaiah chapter 9 at verse 6 and verse 7. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Uh, some time ago I was listening to that uh, brilliant music masterpiece by Handel. Uh, composed by him in the way back in the 18th century, the year 1714, known to us as uh, Handel's Messiah. Scripture from beginning to end. What a musical masterpiece by Handel's Messiah. I know nothing about music, but I have to confess, dear friends, as I listen to uh, that tremendous piece by Handel, I was literally moved to tears, especially when they came to what is known as the Hallelujah Chorus. And he shall reign forever and ever and ever and ever, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Move the tears. What a what a masterpiece by Handel. I could give you this evening many reasons why as Christians we should pray and earnestly look forward and hasten if we could the second coming of our wonderful Lord Jesus. But surely one of the reasons would be this that this old world of ours would know something of peace, lasting peace, real peace among the nations and among the people. Many people have given up hope that this old world of ours will ever experience peace. They think of the different conferences that have been held, different places, Think of the thousands of miles that have been travelled. Think of the millions of pounds that have been spent trying to talk about peace, trying to bring the nations together. <clears throat> but uh, it has resulted in very little. And so many people have given up hope that this old world of ours will ever experience lasting peace. And how appropriate it is this evening as we conclude this little series of Bible teaching on our Lord's names and titles, to think of him as the Prince of Peace. We've looked at him as Wonderful and Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, 
and tonight we conclude thinking of him as the Prince of Peace. And I want to approach this subject this evening in a very simple way. We're going to have a look at the Lord Jesus as the Prince of Peace. And first of all, we're going to think of him as the Maker of Peace. And then secondly, we will think of him as the Giver of Peace. And then lastly, we will think of him as the sustainer of peace. The maker of peace, the giver of peace, and the sustainer of peace. A few weeks ago, we were thinking of the Lord Jesus as the mighty God. And as we looked at that title, we discovered from the word of God that through him, all things were made and came into existence. Indeed, John says uh, there was nothing made that was made that did not come through uh, the Son of God. And the Apostle Paul, in his letter to the Colossians, uh, makes a tremendous statement concerning the Lord. He says concerning him, and having made peace through the blood of his cross. What a statement to make concerning the Lord Jesus. As he hung on the cross, as he suffered and died, it was for that purpose of having made peace through the blood of his cross. Sometimes when a man or a woman passes on, we sometimes ask the question among ourselves, do we not, I wonder did he or she make their peace with God before they passed on. No doubt you've used that expression. And of course we know what they mean. Did they turn to the Lord for salvation? But in a sense, that man or that woman cannot make peace with God. They can only accept the peace that has been already made. And that peace has already been made, not by ourselves, but by the Lord Jesus himself, when he died on the cross. And that is why Paul wrote to the Colossians concerning him, having made peace through the blood of his cross. Salvation is free, but it is not cheap. It cost the Lord everything that he had in order to make peace between God and ourselves. And what a tremendous job he did when he died on that cross. And when he cried, it is finished. It was finished for time and for eternity. And nothing can be added to it. And nothing can be taken from it. And all the sinner can do is to accept the peace that the, the Prince of Peace has made when he died on the cross. So he is the maker of peace. And we owe a tremendous debt to him, do we not? Because of that tremendous deed that he accomplished on Calvary's cross. So he is the maker of peace. 
But then we find, secondly, that he is the giver of peace. And when we come to the word of God with this great subject of peace, we have to bear in mind that the Bible speaks of peace in two ways. And if we don't distinguish between these two aspects of peace, we're going to be mixed up and confused in our mind and in our thinking. The Bible, first of all, speaks of peace with God. Romans 5, verse 1, for example, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, that is objective peace. And that peace is linked to the justification of the believer. That is to say, when a man or a woman comes in repentance and forsakes their sins and calls upon God for mercy and receives the Lord Jesus as their Savior, God justifies that man, God justifies that woman. He declares that person righteous in his sight. And as a result of that, we have peace with God, which is objective peace. Now that peace never fluctuates. It's not like the pound or the dollar on the stock exchange. It's not up and down, up and down. It is constant. It remains the same. From the day the Lord saved you, on the day he will take you home, either by rapture or by death, it is constant. It is continual. It is objective faith. We have peace with God. Ah, but the Bible not only speaks of peace with God, it goes on to speak of the peace of God. Now that is subjective. Now, sad to say, many of God's people, they have peace with God, but they're not enjoying the peace of God. But you can't have the peace of God without, first of all, having peace with God. Always the same between the two, peace with God, objective, and the peace of God, which is subjective. Now it's very interesting that the Bible is very clear in this in Philippians chapter 4. Do you remember what the Apostle Paul says to the church at Philippi? He says, be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with giving of thanks, let your requests be made known unto God. And then notice what it says next. And not the peace with God, but the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep guard over your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Now, whenever you come across a promise in the Bible, you have to ask yourself a, a very simple question. Is this promise conditional or is it unconditional? That's the first thing you've got to ask yourself. Is it conditional or is it unconditional? There are thousands of promises in the Bible. Many of them are unconditional. That is to say, you don't have to do anything. 
I don't have to do anything. It's unconditional. But there are other promises in God's words that are dependent upon conditions being met. And if you don't meet the conditions, you cannot expect the fulfillment of the promises. And that is why many of God's people, they are not enjoying the peace of God for the simple reason they are not meeting the conditions. Now what are the conditions? You have it in Philippians chapter 4. Be careful for nothing. Or if you want the revised version, in nothing be anxious. Or in plain language, if you like, don't worry. Now if I were to ask for a show of hands tonight in the meeting, <clears throat> hands up, uh, who worries? I wonder how many hands we shoot up. Ah, there's one already. Honest enough, bold enough to say, I worry. But the Bible says, don't worry. Be careful for nothing. And then it says, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with giving of thanks. You don't worry about anything, but you are prayerful for everything. The big things, the small things. Now, that's your conditions. That's what you have to do. Not to worry, but to bring everything to God in prayer with thanksgiving. That's your conditions. That's your part. And if you fulfill your part, then God will fulfill his part. And Paul says, and the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep God like a garrison, your hearts and minds, through Christ Jesus. You see, the Lord is the giver of peace. Whether you think of peace with God, which is objective, or whether you think of the peace of God which is subjective that's what the Bible teaches with regard to uh, peace and isn't it wonderful the storm may be raging all around us problems, difficulties, trials but yet in the midst of it all you can know of wonderful peace now it's very interesting when Paul wrote those words to the little church at Philippi where was he writing it? I'll tell you, he was writing it in a prison. Not the prison like Bellini in Glasgow, where they get see nice meals and television and all that. Oh no, but a prison. Cold, damp, inhospitable. That's where Paul wrote those words to the church at Philippi. And if anybody knew anything about troubles, and problems and difficulties there's Paul and yet he could say to that little church I have learned in all things to be content are you content this evening? am I content? the apostle Paul used a very interesting term he says I have been initiated into it now, I'm given to understand, I don't know personally, 
But I'm given to know that if you want to join the Masons, you have to go through an initiation ceremony. What it is, I don't know. But I'm told that. You have to be initiated. Now that's the idea. Paul didn't learn this by just reading. He was initiated into it. He says, I have learned. In all things, in all circumstances, to be content. I know how to be full. I know how to be empty. I know how to rejoice when everything's going okay. Everything's hunky-dory. Or when everything's just going against me. I have learned. Tell me, dear brother and sister, have you been initiated into it? Have, can you say, I have learned the secrets? Are you content? Whatever comes. Only you can answer that question. So the Lord Jesus is the maker of peace on the cross. He is the giver of peace. And we've looked at that, peace with God and the peace of God. But then notice thirdly, he is the sustainer of peace. And in this very book of Isaiah in chapter 26, with these tremendous words, Thou will keep him, or her, in perfect peace, whose mind is stead on thee, because he trusteth in you. Dear brother and sister, I want to say something and listen very carefully. Guard your minds. Because the devil is out to attack and to invade the minds of his people, God's people. And if we're not careful, we can find ourselves being sucked into the ways of the words. Do you remember what Paul says in Romans chapter 12? He says, and be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed. I love how Dr. Phillips translates those words, be not conformed to this world. Here's where he puts it. Don't let the world squeeze you into its mold. That's precious. Don't let the world squeeze you into its mold. It can happen so easily. Television. Radio. The world's philosophy. And if we're not careful, the mind, your mind, my mind, can be squeezed into the mold of how the world thinks. Of how the world reacts. We've got to keep our minds steadfast and stead upon the Lord. Again, you see, it's a conditional promise. Do you want to enjoy perfect peace? Here's the condition. Whose mind is stead on thee? Is your mind, is my mind stead upon Jehovah? Would you rather look at the television for two hours instead of reading the Bible? Would you rather spend a couple of hours watching the television or something else instead of praying? So easily the world can squeeze us into its boat. 
But the Lord is the sustainer of those who keep their minds steadfast upon the Lord. Peace. Perfect peace. In this old world of ours. You see, your mind, my mind, is like a computer. This is the computer age. Our cars, they're computerized. We depend so much upon computers these days. Your mind, my mind, is like a computer. And of course, if you know anything about computer technology, you know what you put into a computer, you get out. Put rubbish in, you get rubbish out. Put good in, you get good out. So what are you feeding your mind on tonight, brother and sister? What am I feeding my mind on? Trash? Rubbish? The novels? Things that we see on television? Coronation Street, all those things? Good in themselves. But not too good if you allow those things become an obsession. Have you ever noticed how John brings his first epistle to a dance? This is fascinating. Now when John wrote his gospel and his three epistles, he's an old man. They reckon he's in his nineties. He's an old man. And in his first epistle, what, a, what an epistle it is. What heights, of, what heights of theology he scales. What depths he plumbs. But have you ever noticed how he ends his letter? And to me, this is fantastic. Do you know how he ends it? Little children, keep yourselves from idols. What a way to bring an epistle to an end. Great heights of theology. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. They tell me, would you bow down to idols of stone? Of course you wouldn't. But you know, there are many who are bowing down to idols of silver and gold, houses and cars. That's their idols. And John says, guard this with all your heart. Keep yourselves from idols. Because God alone has to occupy the throne of our hearts. As that, old, that lovely old hymn puts it, take my life and let it be. Consecrate it, Lord, to thee. <clears throat> take my moments and my days. Let them flow in sacred praise. Who's on the throne of your heart? Who's in the throne of my heart? Is it yourself? Is it the world? Is it other things? Or is it the Lord? You see, he is the maker of peace. He's the giver of peace. And thank God he is the sustainer of peace. As you keep your mind stead upon him. Now let me apply this in a threefold way. This applies individually. We already noticed that. It applies individually to every man, every woman that will come to God through the Lord Jesus. 
they will experience the peace of the prince. The prince of peace will give to that man, that woman, peace. That is the world gives, Jesus said, give I unto you. So it applies individually. Now, last week I did say that this evening we may have to touch upon what is known as eschatology. Now, eschatology is simply the doctrine of the last things, or if you like, Bible prophecy. And in all fairness to God's word this evening, I have to say that these words from Isaiah 9 and 6, they take us to a time that is yet to come in God's prophetic program. Notice what it says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. Now, that part of the verse has already been fulfilled 2,000 years ago when our Lord Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea. The child was born, the son was given. But notice, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. Now, that did not happen when the Lord Jesus was here 2,000 years ago. What happened? They took him. They crucified him. He was buried, but rose again from the dead. But at that time, the government was not upon his shoulder. So therefore, it has yet to happen. The government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counsel of the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Notice this. Of the increase of his government and peace there shall be no end upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice. Now, here's an interesting little verse in Luke's Gospel, chapter 1. And the angel Gabriel appeared to Mary, announcing that she's going to have a child. And the angel said unto her, Hail, thou that art highly favoured, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. And then down to verse 30, And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favour of God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb, bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus. Listen to this. He shall be great, and shall be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David, and he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. Now that has not yet been fulfilled. The Prince of Peace, yes it applies individually, but it will apply nationally with regard to the nation of Israel. Dear brother and sister, keep your eyes upon the nation of Israel. Because God has not finished with his ancient people. They have a part to play in God's prophetic program. Yes, when he came the first time, they rejected him on two occasions from being their Messiah. But there's a day coming in the nation of Israel that they shall acknowledge him as their long-promised Messiah.
And they shall look upon him, the Bible says, whom they have pierced. And what a day that's going to be when the nation of Israel acknowledges the Lord Jesus as their promised Messiah and he reigns on the throne of his father David. Old Hitler thought he could exterminate the Jews. Six million. He's gone. The nation of Israel is still here today. So it applies not only individually, it applies nationally with regard to God's ancient people. But also it applies internationally. And here we touch upon a very important subject which I haven't time to go into in great depth. This old world has known different forms of government. It has known dictatorship, think of Hitler, think of Stalin. But it has never known theocracy. That is to say, the rule of God himself. That is what we mean by theocratic governments, the rule of God himself. But the Bible teaches that one day, our Lord Jesus, think of this, is going to reign personally, visibly, for 1,000 glorious years on this planet Earth as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. <coughs> One thousand years. I, I got a great blessing just recently when I was reading in preparation for the night uh, those tremendous verses in, in Revelation chapter 20. Felt like shouting hallelujah when I was reading them. Revelation 20, listen to this. And I saw an angel come down from heaven having the key of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. Listen to this. And he laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent which is the devil and Satan, and bound him a thousand years and cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal upon him that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years should be fulfilled. And after that he must be loosed a little season. What a day that's going to be when the devil is cast into the abyss for one thousand years. Think of it. No devil. No satanic forces. And during the thousand years our Lord Jesus is going to reign on this earth. And here's what the second chapter of Isaiah says. Chapter 2 and verse 4. And he shall judge among the nations and shall rebuke many people. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation. Neither shall they learn war any more. Peace for 1,000 glorious years with our Lord Jesus the government upon his shoulder and what democracy couldn't do and what dictatorship couldn't do 
our Lord Jesus will accomplish by theocracy. He shall reign for the sun. Taboon shall wax and win. No more. And here's the good news, brother and sister. We as Christians are going to reign with him. Did you know that? You're going to form part of the cabinet. You're going to reign with him. You may, you may not be in, in Tony Blair's or uh, David Cameron's cabinet uh, in 10 Downing Street, but the Bible says if we suffer with him, we shall reign with him. And all those trials and problems you're having is discipline preparing you for that great day when you shall reign with him. King of kings and Lord of lords. What a hope. What a prospect. Prince of peace. Baker of peace. Giver of peace. Sustainer of peace. Individually. Nationally to the nation of Israel. And internationally. To the nations of this old world of ours. And then we can apply these wonderful things wonderful his reign will not be dull how could it be when he's in charge and counsellor he's got all the wisdom and all the knowledge of how to govern the nations how to make judgments and justice he's the counsellor and he is the mighty God he's got the power as well as the authority to reign King of Kings and Lord of Lords you know it's so it, it, it humbles you does it not to realise that God has led us into these wonderful truths and he's revealed to us these wonderful names and titles of our blessed and wonderful Lord how precious and how wonderful he is. Now let me close tonight by reading to you some lovely words by a dear saint of God by the name of Annie Johnson Flint. Ever heard of her? Annie Johnson Flint? Never heard of her? Well, she was a lovely Christian woman. And she's written many poems, many lovely verses. What I'm going to read to you is one of the most wonderful pieces that you will ever hear. And it's been a blessing to me over the years of recent times. And I want you to listen very carefully. Because it somehow summarizes what we've been thinking about our wonderful Lord. And it's entitled, He Giveth More Grace. Does that ring a bell? Ah, he giveth more grace when the burdens grow greater. He sendeth more strength when the labors increase. To added affliction, he added his mercy. To multiply trials, his multiplied peace. When we have exhausted our store of endurance, when our strength has declined ere the day is half done, 
when we reach the end of our hoarded resources, our Father's full giving is only begun. His love has no limit. His grace has no measure. His power, no boundary, known unto man. Listen to this. For out of his infinite riches in Jesus, he giveth and giveth and giveth again. And if there's no end to his giving, then there is no end to our receiving. Hallelujah to our wonderful and precious Lord Jesus. His name should be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And he's your Lord, and he's my Lord. And I do trust, dear friends, that these studies, simple as they've been, that God will use them, that you and I might increase in knowledge, that we might get to know him in a greater and a more wonderful way. So that when we see him in the glory. As we shall see him. That we shall make a beeline to him.